0: Hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode we're continuing the book The Wind Calls the Tune by Stanley Smith and Charles Violet. This is the 15th part of the reading and we're on chapter 16. Now if you haven't already please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner and there for five dollars a month you can not only support this podcast But also get access to additional, exclusive, Patreon-only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 16. New England. A long and arduous voyage lay behind us. From Provincetown to New York, we could expect the pleasures of a normal summer cruise for a boat of the Nova Espero's size. We looked forward to the last part of our journey, now less than 200 miles of partly sheltered water, with keen and happy anticipation. We felt the great load of anxiety and fear of defeat slip from our shoulders and, with joy in our hearts, we prepared our first breakfast in a United States port after more than eight hours' uninterrupted sleep. We postponed the pleasure of looking around this haven we had sailed into until after our meal, just as a child withholds his supreme delight on Christmas morning by saving the most interesting parcel until all the others had been unwrapped. Then, with a casual manner, purely artificial, we climbed out on deck to view our new surroundings. What a thrill it was! The morning sun shone brilliantly down upon the wide, partly artificial bay. It was about two miles from the western end to the eastern corner in which we lay. The town lay along the northern shore, looking bright and clean, strange to our eyes and extremely neat and prosperous. Pleasant houses nestled among trees and gardens, green and colourful with late summer leaves and flowers. To the south of us lay a long line of rocks and sandbanks upon which the harbour wall had been built. At the western extremity was a startlingly clean and well-kept lighthouse. However, the beauty of the scene was as nothing to the astounding objects which lay in our immediate vicinity. All around us were obstructions which proved to be enormous fish traps. Long lines of heavy stakes with unbroken festoons of netting stretched between them, forming a veritable sea maze. In daylight, of course, it was easy to see where clear water lay, but we had passed large numbers of these things in the dark in complete ignorance of their existence. By chance, we sailed right in amongst them, altering our course several times in the right direction, as if by intuition to clear them. If we had seen one before we were ready to anchor, it is likely that we would have been netted, but they seemed scattered everywhere and we would have tried in our bewilderment to sail along a line of stakes. This would very likely have ended as either aground at the shallow end or right in the middle of a bowl-shaped trap at the other end. A number of fishermen were out in their boats at the entrance to this forest, systematically doing whatever they do to the traps. They must have been quite curious about the disreputable-looking little boat which appeared from nowhere during the night to anchor among the nets. Before they reached us, we had the sails hoisted, and we were on our way once more. We sailed across the harbour, admiring the yachts anchored off the town, and as we went, a number of large schooners, looking perfectly lovely under their enormous spread of canvas, sailed past us towards the lighthouse at the harbour entrance. The west by south wind was fairly fresh, and we expected a tedious 25-mile beat across Cape Cod Bay to the entrance to the 10 miles of canal, which cuts through the narrow isthmus from Cape Cod Bay to Buzzards Bay and saves the sailor nearly 100 miles of coasting round the peninsula. To windward, the sky looked less pleasant. The wind began to kick up an unpleasant short steep sea, which stopped our progress most effectively. The sandy outline of the peculiar Cape Cod Peninsula to the southward remained depressingly stationary. All day we fought across the bay, making little headway towards our destination. During the late afternoon, a beautiful fifty foot motor yacht came over and hailed us after passing close under our stern to read our name. Do you know you've been reported missing for the last few days? they asked. We told them that we had the impression that this had happened because a plane had signaled us and inquired our name. They seemed a little piqued at our unconcern. Perhaps they did not realise that we were actually a little annoyed at the fuss, for obviously a sailing boat cannot get far without wind. Perhaps the people on the yacht thought we were a little casual about slipping quietly in and out of Provincetown without notifying anyone. But, after all, we had only called there for a few hours' rest, and the plane would have reported us safe to those concerned long before we could do so ourselves. As the sun sank below the hills ahead of us, it became clear that we would be unable to reach the canal before dark, and even if we succeeded, we had no information about any anchorage there. So we decided to anchor till daylight in a little bay under the lee of the hills just west of Manomet Point. We bore away a little, and an hour later, just before darkness descended, we were snugly at anchor off the beach. The houses looked very beautiful with soft coloured lights showing from behind the curtains. A couple of Hundred feet away at the lower part of the shelving beach, we saw a number of small fires and heard singing and laughing and the clink of bottles. The thin voices of one or two portable radios wavered across to us, and we can imagine the pleasures of the little clam-bake parties. We were determined not to set foot ashore ourselves, however, until we reached our journey's end in New York. Charles awoke at 7am and let out an urgent shout quite a nasty sea was making in and breaking thunderously on the beach astern of us. The wind had fooled us by going around 180 degrees and putting us close in on a lee shore. In order to get clear, we had to get underway with the greatest care. If we made a mess of it, we stood a good chance of ending our voyage less than 200 feet astern of our present position. We unfurled the mizzen, which is a sail we never lower, and sheeted it carefully to get the maximum pull at a moment's notice, there being too much wind to do it straight away while lying into the wind. Gently we pulled in on the anchor warp until we felt we could bring it in no more without one of our upward surges breaking its hold. One of us sprang back to the helm, the other, on the word from the helmsman, swiftly hoisted the foresail and helped to sheet it in, then dashed to the anchor warp again, hauled it in, and throwing everything down in a tangle on the foredeck, jumped back again to the main halyard. Then, as we gathered way, the helmsman brought the boat up into the wind. If she misstayed now, we could expect trouble. The man at the halyard hoisted the main in a flash, and the additional power given by the rising peak helped us round on the other tack without causing leeway. We were clear and away like a scalded pussy. As we rounded Manomet Point, we saw what looked like the entrance to the canal about 15 miles down to Leeward, We let out our sheets and ran downwind in one of the most exhilarating leaps of the whole voyage. Soon after we had taken breakfast, we had to begin preparations and plans for entering the canal. The wind increased even more, and we tore along at an alarming rate. When within a few hundred yards of the entrance, it was still impossible to judge what lay before us. All we could see was a long grey wall, much too high to look over, at the end of which was a kind of lighthouse. Then a few boys were seen. We dashed between two lines and came into a vicious race of broken water caused by the outcoming stream from the canal. As we rounded the end of the wall, we saw with relief that there were no gates or complications of that kind. Right in the middle of the entrance to the canal, however, were the upper works, mast and funnel of a large sunken coaster. We wondered if this unusual sight for a wreck held any significance for us. The tide rushing out against us was so fierce That even with the strong wind at our backs, we made little headway until we edged over towards the side. As we passed the second screening wall on the other side of the entrance, we came into a wider, more placid body of water. Just as we were settling down for a speedy passage through the canal, an official scooted out from the quay in a launch to inform us that no boats are allowed to go through under sail alone. We hastily looked around, and just inside the entrance we spied a snug little yacht basin crowded with yachts of all sizes and descriptions. Also, to our delight, we saw our old friends from Shelburne, the rodeo with her skipper and company. We swerved into the basin and dropped anchor in the midst of the fleet of yachts. Everyone seemed to be anchored wherever there was bare swinging room. After we had stowed sails and tidied up the boat a little, we sat in the sun and looked about us, sheltered from the wind by the surrounding walls and buildings. We wondered what would be the next move. Apparently everyone was waiting for the turn of the tide before going through the canal. As it happened, very few of them got underway when the turn came, so it seemed that the basin had a more permanent use than just a stopping place. We created little interest here, in marked contrast to our next port. We did not fly our flags as we did not want to go through customs and immigration formalities until we reached our destination. One or two friendly souls hailed us asking where we had come from. We told them Nova Scotia. They seemed quite impressed by the boat's performance in sailing in, without power. Before anyone became too curious about us, a friendly foursome aboard a little 28-foot schooner offered to tow us through. As we had no engine, we gladly accepted. We threw them a line as they prepared to bring their anchor up. A few minutes later, we swung into the canal in a wide, smooth curve, and our friend ahead straightened out in the middle of the channel, and we swept round into place dead astern. Then began a trip we shall never forget. On either side we saw clean banks with fine trees mounting up the steep slopes. Above them, the main highway followed the course of the canal, carrying endless streams of summer traffic. There were not many houses, but those we did see were strikingly beautiful, with their fresh white boarding with green doors and windows. In marked contrast to the soil of Nova Scotia, which on the Atlantic coast barely covers the ancient rock of the North American Shield, this looked deep and rich. The grass, the trees, the flowers, all looked vigorous and healthy. By the time we had passed halfway down the canal, the tide really began to shoot us along in earnest. Our friends aboard Priority, as the little schooner was named, held up several cans in the air, signalling us to pull alongside, They reduced speed, and when we came up handed us two ice-cold cans of beer. How welcome these were can only be guessed, for we had no long drinks on board, and the sun was hot between the high sheltering banks of the canal. As we swept down towards the other end, we saw a railway bridge with the centre section high in the air. As we approached, it began to come down. We were not unduly worried about this until, as we came towards it, we saw a train, leisurely making its way across, only about fifteen feet above the water. Priority swept round head to current and we followed in her wake, but with their engine at full throttle, the pair of us were still getting swept towards the bridge, stern first with alarming certainty. What would happen when our masts caught against the steel girders? We could only guess. We held our breath, looking at one another helplessly. Our poor friends on board Priority feeling that they had assumed a trust, for by now they knew we were from England, were making frantic efforts to get the last ounce of power from their engine. When we had almost given up hope and were imagining a spectacle of jumbled spars and rigging, we heard the clanking of the machinery in the bridge control house, and with snail-like deliberation, the great mass started to move upwards. Just in the nick of time, our way was cleared, and when we reached the Channel Boys beyond the canal, Our friends signalled us to draw up to them. As she drew alongside, one of them sprang aboard the Nova Espero, armed with three more cans of beer, and were they welcome. We drifted along gently together while he described the entrance to Quamcaset, the little harbour we had chosen to make for the night. When everything had been made clear, he returned to the Priority. We were cast off, and both ships made sail. A few minutes later, Priority came over to us again to say goodbye. Or so we thought and we got ready to thank them for their extreme kindness they had had a consultation however and to our delight they wanted to accompany us to our first port by this time it was about three hours off sunset the wind had veered to northwest and had died down to a fine brisk sailing breeze on our starboard quarter we found we had to reef the main for we did not wish to take any risks with our gear at this late stage of the journey our friends got almost half a mile ahead during the 12-mile reach. We saw them alter course in the fading light as they neared an apparently unbroken shoreline and a minute later they had disappeared beyond a point of land. We followed them and soon saw a number of boys marking the entrance to the harbour. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing. And we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's The Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out The Mariner there. And at the moment... We're on board with the 40-foot Triamaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda, and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kinder nations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.